0: Hello, and welcome to the Text in Us podcast. I'm your host, George Fricks, and I'm here with my co host, L. Grover Fricks, to resume our discussions in the Bible because we're not actually doing a chapter today, it is a mailbox episode.
1: mail time <laughs> blue clues deep cut there <laughs> we have kids can you tell uh but yes you guys have sent in some great looking questions um and i'm excited to dig into them the first thing though um for common themes we can kick th- through a whole bunch of them at once um if it's been a while or you never started at episode one frequently asked questions right at the top before we get into specific people's requests um one of them is whether the genesis translation is going to be in a tangible form for eyeballs the answer is yes Um, We're working on leads right now to be able to get that in front of y'all in a lovely package. And so I'm really excited about that. Um, We'll be easing into that this summer when um, I'm on sabbatical. Yep. So that's very exciting.
0: Yes, there's a little bit of work there to do as well. (laughs) Just a smidge. (laughs) Just a smidge. You know, we have to go back over everything, make sure that it's all... Uh, good to the go. way we want it so
1: yeah absolutely okay um second question uh, frequently asked question tends to revolve around why is um, what we do here so different or why does your translation sound different or um, you know what are the principles that you're bringing to the text those kinds of questions so this is way back in episode one which has been a really long time so we're three hitting um that concept. The translation is different because it's organized around a different set of values and principles than other translations are, and that's okay. So again, this translation is built around the following values. Number one, we trust the intelligence of readers to speculate for themselves rather than being given all the answers. So if there's something that is ambiguous and doesn't really make sense, we value leaving it that way so that everyone can, in discussion, actually do some wrestling exactly like that's the whole point of the book and the story rather than um, being handed somebody else's ideas uh value number two is that previous translations have been conducted by and large pretty much by a very small homogenous privileged group of translators so you can look up your favorite translation on wikipedia most likely or the website of the translation and often they'll have a list of contributors and you can scroll down that list of contributors and see how many women there are in that list how many people of color in that list will likely be very small, if none. Um, the, I checked NIV recently since we pick on ESV a lot, um, for good reason. But anyway, I checked NIV. It also was all men. So, you know, I am aware I have my own unconscious bias and conscious bias that I'm bringing into the decks too. None of us are perfect, but at least let's change it up, you know, get some different biases in here. Uh, and then, thirdly, we place a high value here at the textus on the original aesthetic beauty of the text and its culturally informed images. and we endeavor to restore um, what's been stripped out or stuff that we might miss as much as possible as the original hearers would have received the word with uh all of these extra things so other translations might try to do like even if they say word for word that means they're limiting themselves to one word which might not capture right everything that's going on in that word so rambling and awkward it might be and some of that will be polished up i think um in our edit but uh but yes that's why it's different so any comments george any comments ifa Oh my. Any comments there, George? Uh,
0: You know, I think that you kind of wrapped up most of what needs to be said there. Um, uh, If I was going to add anything, it would be that uh, to the conversation of the way things are translated In this translation, it's not always going to be kind of like we said, the clearest. Right. (laughs) Um, And there are some things about that that might make it a little bit more difficult. Mm -hmm. Uh, But there's a lot of good that comes out of keeping it messy. And we really want to value those moments and value the ways in which... uh, that messiness can be used to look at the text in a lot of different ways. Right. And when we narrow that down to a singular viewpoint, viewpoint, you lose, you lose that piece of the text that is so important.
1: Right. Also, it's relatively arrogant to be like, yeah, we figured it's so-and-so, yeah. so we're going to present it that yeah. way as if we know right. to everybody.
0: Yeah. And if you've ever read the rabbi's discussion around the text and the ways in which they, they take the text and do these things. It's because it's messy.
1: Right. And that's the joy of it is it's not clean. And so there's room for all these different positions to get staked out. Um, And so, yeah, if it's confusing, uh, lean in and have your own Bible translation next to hopefully coming soon to theaters near you, not theaters, but Uh, an actual physical copy for you to compare with okay so that gets us into our actual questions
0: yes our mailbox is open first off I want to thank you all so much for sending these questions in we love hearing from you we love hearing your thoughts your questions uh, your uh, positive affirmations All of that is an encouragement to the work that we're doing.
1: Yeah, it's super kind. Yeah. Um, And helpful, really, to know that our work is blessing people and not just, you know, us hanging out together, which is also fun. But
0: right. I'm going to kick us off.
1: All right. Go for it.
0: Okay. Our first question comes from Linda, and she says, I'm interested to hear. You riff off the man and woman's significant other relationship as it relates to the absence of a word for marriage. Churchgoers have often heard that God invented marriage. Super interesting and relevant conversation with the text.
1: Yeah, so this isn't the first. Uh, <laughs> this isn't the first time I've received an email of this kind, uh, and it's kind of around the fact that in the original episodes, I point out that it doesn't say the word for marriage. And when it says that Adam knew Eve or whatever, or um, Jacob took Rachel, it doesn't say married in there anywhere. Now, there's some complexity in that, that the root for marriage is old. um, But the noun version of it might be a later evolution. Hmm. So if you want to really get feisty, you can say, well, it just wasn't around yet, um, if you hold to a late dating or an early dating of Genesis. Um, Excuse me. Um, So there's a little bit of wiggle room there. However, even when it does get later in the text, we still don't see it. Yeah, Um,
0: and I I think, too, it's, it's important to realize that We bring with us a lot of our own cultural interpretations of words, especially with something like marriage, which is a large construct in our society today, which has its own uh, nuances and meanings. And that does not necessarily translate into other cultures, other times. Right. And we need to recognize those differences. And it's not necessarily that what we're looking at is not quote unquote, marriage.
1: Right. So that's kind of the offense is, yeah, our cultural ideas about marriage might not be in the text. On the defensive side, what we are not saying is marriage is a construct, man. Right. Like who even needs it? Don't do that. Just like move in. It's all good. Like there's there's a lot of meat to the discussion about ethics and what's healthy and what's good. And the church has done something a certain way for a long time for a reason, you know, um, and some of that is super good and helpful um, and an attempt to follow the Bible in upright ways. Um, and so I'm not trying to say and we're not right. trying to say dump marriage out with the trash. <laughs> right. Yeah. And,
0: and if we jump forward to our New Testament, right. our, our epistles with Paul, right? Uh, yes, he says things like, I would not have any of you be married. <laughs> yeah. What he is not arguing for there is a big, huge orgy he's oh, saying <laughs> the opposite rather he's he's right. talking about celibacy so right. if you are going to throw out marriage in a Pauline way you are eschewing a uh, relationship
1: right Time to go on the road as a missionary (laughs) and be celibate, right? So uh, just hedging that when we say our cultural ideas of marriage and all the things that go into it and all of the culture wars that are around marriage, especially right now um, in politics of 2023, that those aren't rooted in the text. Like even the fact that we eat cake at our weddings is a Roman thing from the higher up Uh, upper echelon of Roman society you had to have a cake offering yeah so us eating cake is a pagan offering and we should all stop doing it Um, or mostly jokes
0: or reclaim the cake
1: reclaim the cake take it back from the gods so
0: recognize that a lot of our our Christian traditional ideas of marriage come from Roman influence because of Catholicism right And and that doesn't make them bad right it's just a different culture than when we look at Abraham, who is in a different place, a different time in history.
1: Right. So the TLDR there is to have a posture of humility when we're talking about various things. And when we assume that something is biblical um, and only based out straight out of the text, yes, we can uh, take a closer look.
0: Right. Furthermore, I'll say one more thing about this because I think it's important this also does not prohibit us from looking at what does biblical marriage look like?
1: Right, right. No, absolutely. That's a huge, super important thing. Again, we are pro-marriage in the Griver Fricks household. Yep. We are married. Uh, yep,
0: married myself. Yeah.
1: <laughs> All right. Continuing on, Diane from Boston asks a question about the dating of Genesis um, and also what our baby's name is. So our baby's name is Efa. Um, A-O-I-F-E it is Gaelic um, and I appreciate that you find her cooing in the background sweet and not annoying Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. so thank you for your grace Um, but her main question is about whether Genesis was written in post exilic times like a couple of theologians out there have posited Um, to me there's two things there one no. <laughs> <laughs> to <laughs> define written. Um, okay, so starting with the second thing of define written. So if we say written as in conceived, as in, um, you know, I wrote my memoir when I was 52 years old, Um, that implies that you sat down at your computer when you were 52 and you started writing something new. Mm -hmm. And certainly, I think even those theologians who are saying that it was written post-exilic times, they don't mean that, that people stared at the ceiling, asked for the Spirit to help them, and then wrote the creation story. They mean recorded oral tradition. Um, However, I would still say, in my professional um, opinion, that that's not the case. And there's a lot of reasons for that, but just throwing in one, we can't see a really clear evolution of Hebrew over time within the scripture. And we can tell, oh, pff, this is really obviously a post-exilic work um, when we encounter them because they're full of the cultural touchstones of right. the post-exilic time. And, and borrowed words. Right, and they have loan words from Persian, from... Um, sometimes other languages as well, which evolved later. Yep. And so it would be a really good fake to be able to write something in a distinctly different style.
0: Without the internet.
1: With, right, without the internet. No chat GPT in the Bible. Um, not in that way. And if you think about it, um, even if they were recording their version of that story in that era like even if you go with the written as in they were just writing down the oral tradition i would still say it's really hard to realize when you're importing your modern ideas and your modern language into um an older thing and i think we would still feel more of the impressions of a later era on the text that we really don't even if as you read through Genesis, um, you can feel the time change based on the vocabulary and the grammar. Um, and so the idea that they like had it memorized so well that they managed to keep that continuity of not changing a single word for hundreds of years. In my mind, at least, is not really how oral tradition works. It's not like word for word. The grammar never changes for right. hundreds of years. Um, and so it's for those reasons that I would go with a earlier dating at least than post-exilic.
0: Yeah. And, you know, that's... That's a relevant scholarly debate. There's a lot of opinions on that uh, that go both directions. So it's a a spectrum. So wonderful. Thank Mm -hmm. you, Diane. Okay, next question. This comes from Ali. She says, I love the podcast. It has deepened my understanding of the text so much. I was wondering if there is any indication in Genesis that Jacob ever knew what his sons did to Joseph.
1: Um, whether he ever figured it out, that's a really good question, Allie. Um, I haven't thought about that. It kind of doesn't seem like it, like there's no big reveal thing where Yosef says, did you know that your sons are (laughs) absolute, you know, villains, dad, Right. that never comes out. Do you think of any like comment that Yaakov says that makes it seem like he might've picked up what really happened?
0: Yeah, you know we don't see it like if you were if you were going to expect to see it anywhere, I feel like you would have seen it in the blessings at the end because he doesn't hold anything back, right? Mm. Uh, when right. he's he's <laughs> handing those out, Move
1: in, pull it together. Yeah, Simeon and Levy, mm, not happening.
0: Yeah, and lists out all of those things, and I think we would have seen it there if he knew what had happened, um, and then. Furthermore, there's the rabbinic conversation that we talked a little bit about, uh, towards the end of Genesis, where Uh we don't see Joseph going to visit his father once they've come to Egypt. And the rabbinic conversation about that is because he doesn't not, he does not want a situation to come up in which he has to talk about what happened.
1: Oh. mm.
0: So that also, uh, makes me think that potentially not. Um, and... I'd have to I'd have to rack my brain a little bit more and maybe look a little bit more into Midrash to see if there's any in there that might lean that direction. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I'm not aware of any. Nothing's coming to mind.
1: Yeah, I don't know either. So I love this point. Um, and definitely, I think you see in the funeral, post-funeral anyway, the guys realize that it might re-explode. And it seems like um, their tenseness and commanding yakov no commanding yosef to um forgive them and coming up with that whole ruse wouldn't have happened if it had already blown up in the family right right um in the family dynamic really good point i love learning from y'all thank you ali
0: okay our next question is from diane she asks Uh, about Leah being buried with Jacob. She says, hi, you said Jacob was buried with Leah. Please explain more. So, um, yeah, so we see in Genesis chapter 49, the text says that Leah is buried in the cave of Machpelah along with Yaakov. Gotcha. Um, And so the interesting thing about that situation, though, that I think is important to look at is the fact that rachel is not Mm, right right.
1: she's on the road
0: rachel gets buried on the side of the road Uh, her body does not get exhumed Mm -hmm. you know i think we had a little bit of a discussion about that as well because yeah uh, why they would not do that when they are doing that with with jacob and and uh, we'll see that later in the text when they leave the and land I, of Egypt. Right, so
1: Right, yep, so that's what's going on there. Yeah,
0: so definitely an interesting conversation about what ends up happening with the two wives after their death. And then we also don't hear anything about, I'm trying to remember if there's anything about where the uh, concubines are buried. Uh, I know that it mentions their deaths, but Rough. another thing that... Uh, maybe not necessarily explained a whole lot in the text, so.
1: Right, well, we definitely go silent during the 400 years of slavery. But right. now we're getting ahead of ourselves. Okay, Aslan, great name. Our son's name is Lewis for a reason. Okay, Aslan says, uh, I really, really enjoy your podcast. Thank you so much. Question about Genesis 49. Is there a possibility that verse 10's comment about the staff not departing from Yehuda a call back to the Yehuda and Tamar story where the staff did depart from Yehuda first? I son?
0: love that a lot.
1: I love that a lot too. That is so good. Thanks, Aslan.
0: <laughs> yeah yeah and to answer that uh yes i think there is a very large possibility that there's something specific being said there
1: yes i think you're right aslan gold star here, have a staff
0: yeah yep love that if i could go back and edit the recording which i could and i won't <laughs> i would put that in there because yeah i think it's a fantastic
1: your idea pretending yep. we had it all along yep exactly no, you no, heard
0: no. it here first <laughs> all
1: <right. laughs> troubling
0: all right Okay, Josh says, I heard Rabbi Foreman recently say that there is a plurality to God walking in the garden, incentivizing that God was fully prepared to carry the sin of the people and was prepared to carry on strolling the garden with them, business as usual, And uh, and also that their big mistake was misidentifying God as Elohim, God of power, and Yahweh, god of relationship so perhaps had they identified god as yahweh after their mistake all could have been well but instead they chose to operate out of their fear
1: okay so there's a lot there obviously we love Rob foreman (laughs) we quote him continually all the time is one of the big ingredients in our soup of teaching um, that we're passing out here um so kind of at the root though of this particular teaching is this idea that God is Elohim means God of power and God, um, described as Yahweh means God of relationship. Um, so in Jewish theology, which arose for a reason, right? Um, they believe, which is great that every time God's name comes up, And it's used in a different way, it has Mm. a different meaning attached to it. That's very logical to me (laughs) because we believe, you know, that the authors of the text wrote so intentionally um, and with the Holy Spirit, right? However, where I, you know, where I have some segmentation here away from um, Rob Foreman is that. I wouldn't say that that is always what's going on, um, that whenever we see Yahweh, it means relational, that relationship is at stake. Um, he's getting that because Yahweh is short for Ihiyeh, Asher, ihie, the one who was, is that who will be. It's one of the ways okay. to translate yeah. that. And so it's kind of like the way that we experience God versus Elohim, the root, has to do with strength. And so he's talking about that. Um, so that's kind of the explanation behind behind the question. Um, and I think it's a great way to turn the story and to look at things differently. And I love any teaching that has a nice landing, like it lands the plane well of like, would a sin really have been as devastating if we didn't believe that it was so devastating? Right. That's kind of the question. Right. That, right. Right. Um, is asking there um
0: and as well as like uh an observation on the way we see god's posture before and after they eat of the fruit right before the fruit god is walking in the garden after the fruit we see it start with him walking in the garden and then looking for them right so uh imagining god as being uh like the text tells us god who already knows all of this stuff why is he still Uh, assuming this posture of walking in the garden, um, and approaching them in that way.
1: Right. Or why is he, well, I mean, there's a lot of questions there. Why is he walking in the cool of the day? God doesn't have a body. Why is he like waiting until it's not as sweaty out? Right. You know, there's a lot to talk about there. So I don't completely subscribe, um, to that division of the uses of the names of God, but I still think it could be a I mean, I think it is a cool teaching. I just wouldn't like make it a foundational teaching, at least for me.
0: Right. And as far as there being, you know, linguistically something in there that could be hinting at that, the answer, kind of like we talked before about just Hebrew in general and the ways in which you can translate Hebrew, right. yes, there could be.
1: <laughs> always. Right? Um, and no, that's, that's just, not true. Not always, but often. Often. And especially in Jewish tradition where you can swap out a letter and be like, oh, the scribe's made a right. mistake.
0: Right, right. And that is one of the, again, like we said, beautiful things about the text, beautiful things about Hebrew uh, right. is our ability to do that. Uh, and one of the things that you might hear talked about with uh, the priests is looking for ways to bring people in. Right. And I would say any opportunity in which we utilize the text to bring thing, people in right. is a win. Yep, absolutely.
1: So. 100P, as the kids say. Okay, um, Laura says, my friend is doing a Bible study with her girls, and they're reading about when Yaakov wrestled all night with an angel, and they wondered whether it was a literally physical wrestling, or if he was wrestling emotionally slash spiritually all night. Any thoughts? Um, And then some more encouraging words. Thank you, Laura. Um, Okay, so, I mean, maybe. There's there's my answer. But in the story, it seems to be literal because he touches his hip in the sinew. It's very specific about what's happened.
0: Right, and that's the way we see it historically talked about even in the rabbinic traditions. Right. As it is a physical wrestling.
1: Right. I mean, but and yet there is still like you said earlier Georgia's spectrum always of right. taking things literally or taking them um, more metaphorically, like, was Jesus really talking to Satan at the temptation on the wilderness? Or was he wrestling his own thoughts? You know, there's always um, going to be people on either side of that. And that's okay with me. Um, I just want to be prepared to say, well, which does the Bible seem to be indicating? And why might that be? Um, in which there's all sorts of interesting right. reasons.
0: Yeah. Now, to go along with that, I do think that Yaakov, in this moment, was having an emotional and spiritual wrestling.
1: Yes, multiple, multiple types.
0: But that it went along with the story that we have of a physical wrestling.
1: Which Hebrew idea of body-mind, all the other segmentations that we make in Greek philosophy, it's much more holistic. Yeah. There is still like the idea of nefesh and ruach and everything, but um, that wouldn't be odd to them that they're more combined.
0: Yes. So, yes, this is a spiritual experience that he has. Yes, he is wrestling emotionally with the confrontation he is going to have with his brother. Right. Yes, God utilizes this moment to do something in his life. And yes, it appears that there is a physical wrestling with a being who is a little bit nebulous as far as their identity. Yep. So uh
1: great question. Yeah. Lovely I love question. Bible study. Bible study full of girls asking good good questions. Yeah. Okay. Raylan wonders if Jesus' feeding of the four thousand has a hint from Yaakov's blessing in Genesis forty-eight, sixteen. Uh presumably she says when the fish are mentioned, they There, we don't get a number as in the feeding of the 5,000, just some fish. And I always thought that since the numbers carry significance in these two events, there wasn't a number given because it wasn't the point of focus. However, instead of being insignificant, some fish could be the lack of an assigned number, a remez, fish multiplied.
0: Yeah. So first off, let's look at this verse in Genesis forty-eight verse 16 it says the angel has ransomed me from all evil he will bless the young men my name will call within them the name of my fathers Abraham and Isaac they will multiply like fish into a great many in the bowels of the land and that is interesting right when we look at the stories of feeding the peoples the two stories one of the things we uh, often hear talk about again is the fact that the 4,000 was done with a different people group than with the
1: 5,000. Right, the four corners of the earth spread and then jumping over to the 5,000 being the five books of Torah. Okay, so that's the verse. She goes on to say, the ones who are not in the family are brought into the family and brought in as fellow heirs, now sharing in the family mission to bless all nations. God is their shepherd as well, and they too are ransomed. The Gentiles are welcomed as children into God's story of redemption. I love it.
0: I, I do, too. I like it a lot. And, um, yeah, the idea that, you know, Jesus is calling his disciples, even at the very beginning, right? You're going to be right. fishers of men. Right. And the way that that concept, right? They didn't understand what he's talking about them then, but the way that concept expands throughout his ministry. I
1: think they do know what he's talking about they there. They just don't want to recognize no, it. No, I think they know it's Ezekiel, and I think that's why they say yes. But, anyway, okay. we're okay. way ahead of ourselves. Yes. Uh At the feeding of the 4,000, the 5,000, it could have been anything. You know, It could have been like, I have some leeks. It could have been, I have some lentils here, but instead it says, I have some fish. Mm -hmm. And so I think Ray Lynn is right on about, well, if we think biblically about what would have popped to mind for them about first mentions around fish. Ding, 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 ding. Of course, we have the creation story. um, But that's more like flopping things that live in the sea than actually the word fish um so i think it's super legit and i love that you caught it thanks for uh wrestling alongside us and uh privileging us to learn from y'all as well All right, we've got a great one from V. Scott. He says, in some of the commentaries I've stumbled upon, the Midrash and Talmud say that Esau is the ancestor of Rome. I assume that's why they paint Esau in such a bad light, saying he was the enemy that the later prophets say they need to defeat his ancestors. Question one, wouldn't this make Romans children of Abraham? Uh, It seems to me that the text is, okay. so quick pause. Um, You are halfway right, or most of the way right. Except for it's backwards. So the they are looking to paint Esau in a bad light. And so they stack on whoever the current oppressor is onto that character. Right. Um, so it's not that because... Esau is the ancestor of Rome, that they paint Esau in a bad light. It's that they found this progenitor villain, you know, this primordial bad guy figure who's trying to kill them, and they thus mostly metaphorically say that he's the ancestor of Rome. I love your point, though, that that would make him children at Rome, the children of Abraham as well, Uh, where we are family, right? This kind of breaks down their whole thing. Okay. Second paragraph. He says, it seems to me that the text itself paints Yaakov in a much worse mm-hmm. light, mm-hmm. causing more harm and being more deceitful than Esau. Yet the Jewish interpretation is that Yaakov is the hero. Knowing that Western Christians have been reading the Bible with extreme bias to make the whole Old Testament about Jesus. When we try to correct for that, we also find Jews seemingly reading the text with their own strong bias against Gentiles. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. Okay. So question number two, as Gentiles, how can we read the text with this? little bias as possible? How can we come be confident in our unbiased conclusion if everyone seems to be bringing their bias? Okay, you're preaching. Uh, you're extremely correct. So when you do don't spend time reading another people group's ideas, um, or you'll only hear really nice cherry-picked ones. Or if you don't know any people, you know it's a lot easier to put a people group on a pedestal and say they're the ones with the true answers, and I'm ashamed to be part of my religion and kind of wish I had been born a different way, right? Uh, However, when we get into the text, we find that everybody is flawed, and everybody, like you say, uh, brings their own biases to the table. Um, And it's always good to be reminded of that and to be aware of that when we're reading Midrash and be like, this isn't black and white, there's some gray, it seems like um, they're kind of ignoring the faults of their patriarch, which is... Totally true. Um, and it's not very life-giving either from a pastoral perspective. If we only ever paint our heroes as this like flawless, everything they do is right, how are we supposed to identify with them and see ourselves in them and share their you know, triumphs and, right. and learn from them? So not very interesting way or helpful way to read the text in my opinion. So the question, how can we read the text with as little bias as possible is great because the first step is being aware that we're bringing our bias
0: which is a work in and of itself
1: right it's an ongoing work right if all we say is there is absolute truth and i'm going to be the one to find it that's not going to cultivate a very humble posture um and there's wisdom and humility and it keeps us from being able to access what might be more true than when we you know tramp around saying aha i have all the answers um, on the other hand, because we're human and because we have been fundamentally shaped by our experiences and our culture and our biology and all these different things, um, it's pretty impossible to escape our our own lens, right? That's like trying to switch out your eyeballs. Yeah. Like they're there. Uh, we can only perceive the world through our retinas. Right. And so um, being aware That your glasses that you have on have a chip in them because you had this experience or that experience is the best tool that we can have.
0: Yeah, the other thing I I will say along with that is that when we are exploring our biases, when we are unpacking our theologies, when we are um, uh, continuing to grow in our faith and knowledge of God, um, it can be a very... Difficult testing and trial of our Mm. faith. Right. And uh, it is important to remember that, uh, regardless of all of the things that you can know and learn about the text, uh, that that is ultimately not going to be the foundation of spirituality that's going to be a relationship with God. Right. Yes, it's a tool that we use in order to grow our spiritual relationship with God, right. but it can also be a tool, I think equally, to distance ourselves from God.
1: Oh yeah. Yeah, salvation is knowing God. Yeah. Right, <laughs> that's, a, that's a personal level. And of course it helps to know the things about God in that relationship, right? If you don't know anything about someone, it's hard to have a relationship with them. But um, I don't think that God expects us to have everything right yeah. about his book. It's a very long book, it'd be very difficult. <laughs> yeah,
0: so I would say, you know, as you learn, walk with, learn to walk with humility
1: Yes, as uh, we are attempting to do. Right. By the way, yes. we are not the sages who have popped out on the other side. Yes,
0: absolutely it. not. Walk with humility. Listen with open ears. Yep. To, to the other, other things. To other are things. Saying. Yep, that people are saying, and make sure that your foundation of your faith is not overly tied up in having the it right. Intellectual pursuit of the text.
1: Right, um, which is not necessarily saying that that's what you are advocating for right. here. Um, just something that pops to mind for us. Yes. Uh, but yes, I'm thankful God doesn't expect us to have it all right. He did not want us to eat the knowledge of all things. Right. <laughs> Retrieve the knowledge of all things. Yes. Okay.
0: All right. Our next question comes from Brian. And he asks, at the end of Genesis 47, you mentioned some rabbis think that the head of the bed is a euphemism for Leah, but not how those thoughts are connected. Okay. Any chance that when you do your QA you can connect those dots for us? Okay, so they are, again, like we've talked to you before, stretching a couple of things um, in order to make those images line, um, up. line up. And so they are making a uh, an image Image comparison between the physical representation of a bed and the two wives. So Leah is represented as the head of the bed. So when um, Abraham, or sorry, when Israel bows to the head of the bed, they say that's him recognizing uh, Leah finally after all this time, right? We've seen this Mm. tension in their relationship throughout the entire story, right? Between her. And Rachel. Rachel. And here at the end of the story, the rabbis are saying there is a restoration there. He finally honors He's her. He's finally honoring her That's as really nice. as the older sibling, as the right, the right. first wife.
1: Right. The uh, bachor. Yeah. Yeah. I really like that. I don't know if it's actually in the text. In fact, I don't think it's actually in the no, text. But no. I like it as a teaching moment, as character growth for him. Um, because Leah certainly did have a lot of suffering at the hands of Yaakov. Right. Okay. We have two questions: one from Clay and one from Jim uh, about the my translation from all the way back in Genesis one, and I uh, specifically about subduing and ruling. Yeah. Um, baby Eva keeps knocking over my mic straight onto the floor, so that's an exciting moment. Um. But maybe it's a sign. I shouldn't answer this. No. So this is a great example of humility. Um, I'm not sure. I'm going to come back to that particular phrase um, when we go through and do our edits. Because I've learned more about um, the royal priesthood of Adam and Eve. Okay. Since I first translated that. And my bias, ding, 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 when I first approached that was, I don't like this ruling you know I don't like hierarchy and so I um, you know edged away from that particular rendering through the tread it down now tread it I wasn't lying tread it down is still in there Um, and I think it's pictorial nature set up about you know how how do you trailblaze through a wilderness. You tread down some plants along the way. Um, So it's not wrong, but both of you might be onto something um, about... Me partially missing something by cutting out ruling. Um, Clay feels like treading it down is negative, which I get, right? Because you're like, I won't say rule because that's hierarchical. I'll say trade it down, tread it down, which sounds like oppression, right? <laughs> so that might not have landed the way that I wanted it to. Um, so humility, going to go back and relook at that one. Thanks for bringing it out. Clay had an additional question, though, about... Um, the word nefesh and how nefesh is the word for soul, yeah, and for what people usually translate as living creatures. Um, it actually says nefesh it's a soul when it's talking about animals so he says that he's curious to understand that more because quote it clashes with the modern day idea of humans being elevated above animals due to humans having a soul and animals not having a soul Um, so i'm curious to understand that more so this is a great question you can just wikipedia imago dei um, to find different ways that people have talked about what does it mean to be made in the image of god and how how are we different than animals? Right,
0: evolving conversation. There's always I see stuff on this all the time of somebody coming up with a new perspective, uh, right? You know, based on uh, just uh, our understanding as it, it it grows through science and right. all sorts of things, right?
1: Right, it's changed over thousands of years, and theologians have been throwing in. Their ideas for ages. Um, you know, again, if you look at that Wikipedia page, there's like the substantive um, idea versus the medieval version versus the patristic version. And it comes down to people saying, like, um, well, humans can solve problems, or another camp saying, well, humans are relational. Of course, like George just said, uh, science has evolved since the era of Augustine. <laughs> We know that uh, animals can solve problems.
0: And so can slime fungus. <laughs> yes,
1: they can. <laughs> the slime fungus can solve problems. Uh, better than humans can. And Anyway, that's a whole different video. A um, whole different media. We've also learned that animals are relational. They're, uh, some of them are monogamous. A lot of them are better at monogamy than humans are sometimes, right? Um, right.
0: Go, just go and look up the fallacy behind Alpha Wolf, and you'll figure out. (laughs) Yeah,
1: that's just a fun little nugget for uh, all the grindset mindset bros out there. But anyway, um, as science has changed, it's kind of eroded at some of those things. And so we've kind of clung to, okay, fine, animals are relational. Animals can be creative. Animals can problem solve. But you know what? They don't have souls. Um, I don't particularly have a new comprehensive experience well, actually, I do, but I'm not going to do it here. I do have my own theology around Amago Day, which is not what you're asking for. Um, but I think that's why we've stuck so closely to animals don't have souls, um, despite the fact that Ecclesiastes very specifically says that animals do have souls.
0: Well, and as we've seen just through translating Genesis, it comes up every time. Right. All yeah. All the
1: time. The living souls. Yep. Um, so... So, what do we do with that? Um, join the veg, yeah, feel uncomfortable, join the vegetarian train, and shift our idea about what it means to be made in the image of God, perhaps. Which sneak peek into, um, what I think, which of course is not mandatory for all humans to think. Uh, I would be horrified if it was, but I think that it has to do with, um, being co-regents with god Uh, we found archaeological evidence when um kings are talking to viceroys and pharaohs are talking to their grand viziers they say you are the image of me the Mm. god the para Mm -hmm. um and so you must behave in this way and so god in his establishment of his kingdom from the very beginning sets us up to be co-regents right and so that's what i think it's getting at of course um Anyone can hold to whatever theology works um, happily for them, hopefully, without hurting people in the process. Yeah. But it just
0: but, I think too, uh, consider like what changes when you look at these different aspects.
1: Right. So all that I would really ask is that we open our open our brains to think about okay, if the text says this, what am I going to do about it? You know. Uh, because it does say soul and there's no arguing um, with that word nefesh means soul Um, so yeah so it's up to y'all what you want to do with that I guess Okay, last question here is from Sammy. And they say, my thought for chapter two, when it talks about violence, thinking about animals and such, if we were supposed to steward the land, and then we took part of the tree of violence, and we stopped stewarding all the animals, they became violent, because nature is crazy. (laughs) But then we have stewarded some animals back, and they're less violent. Uh, have we then brought them back to the way it was supposed to be? Have we not been stewarding the wildlife? Um, well, Sammy, I don't think we have been stewarding the wildlife well, since very many of them are dead. (laughs) Uh, you know, I think humanity in our particular industrial era has a lot to, a lot of room to grow and doing better at stewarding lots of different parts of the planet that we are on. I think it's a fascinating idea that like we just stewarded wolves really well and they re-became dogs, right? Um, to talk about demestics domestication, there we go, of animals being part of kingdom work. Right. My only pushback to that well, maybe not only pushback, but the first thing that would push back at the corner of my mind, saying, Well, is that when God lists out the things that we are to be over, he does not list all of the categories of living creatures. Right. Um I yeah it doesn't say that we have dominion which is a word I don't like for lots of reasons but it doesn't say that we have dominion over polar bears and I think most people who try to um train those animals i mean i guess there are good trainers out there but many of us would not be successful in trying to exercise dominion over polar bears
0: yeah and i and two i think that kind of goes into what are we trying to accomplish here like how far on the scale are we going here to you know Uh, domestication.
1: Right. But Um, what I like in the question that I think is correct, Sammy, is that over the grand arc of the story of the text, I agree with you, we're on the road back to less violence, right? The lion shall lay down with the lamb. That's part of our end game of God's new creation, Right. right? And so I agree that violence between animals is what's part of what's going away, and perhaps us cursing the ground is part of that that they're eating one another um but uh, i don't know if domestication is part of that kingdom work but um you know maybe yeah who are we to say Uh, hopefully you guys um enjoy getting your questions answered Live. Those are the ones that we scooted on through. There were so many kind words that we did not read uh, because it felt a little self, you know, everybody doesn't need to listen to us saying, oh, that's so sweet. A little self-flattery.
0: Or maybe you do. Just let us know in the email. <laughs>
1: yeah. I want you to read this nice thing I'm saying about you because you should get over it and it shouldn't make you uncomfortable. You're probably right. You're correct. Um, but haha, nobody has said that yet. So we're going to exercise our freedom to, to not. So thank you so much. We do cherish hearing... Um, that this work is meaningful and helpful to you guys, we just want to serve and be a blessing. So we look forward, da 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 da, da, da for Exodus. Um, we'll start yes. next week.
0: Next week. So keep sending in your questions if you have them. We yes. still love to hear them. They can even still be about Genesis.
1: They can't. They can so, be about anything. Yep. Uh, we look forward to seeing them. Have a wonderful week, you guys.
0: This has been the Text in Us podcast. Thank you so much for joining us and we hope that you will join us again next week for Exodus chapter one.
1: Woohoo bye!